0: And we'll read Philippians 4, 1-9, page 1180. Philippians chapter 4. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche To be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again: rejoice! Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. We're in this passage in Philippians 4, so keep that open in front of you. And uh, I'll pray just before we begin. Our loving Heavenly Father, please take your truth and plant it deep in us and change us as a result of it, as individuals and as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage this morning describes how you keep going in the Christian life. So, essentially, how are you going to make it through this coming week as a Christian? That's what we're thinking about. And you remember that Paul said, Look, we're all in a race together if we're Christians. We haven't reached the end yet. There's a prize ahead. It's heaven. It's with Jesus. But we're in a race and we're not there yet. So, keep going. Paul says, I'm going to keep going. I want you with me. Keep going. And then last week, do you remember we heard Paul say, Well, we're citizens of heaven. Your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Saviour from there, Jesus Christ. We're not there yet. But that's where we're headed. We're citizens of heaven. But if we're not there yet, then how do we keep going? How do we make it to the end of the race? In other words, what does it look like to stand firm? Stand firm is a strange way to put it, if you're in a race. But that's the way Paul puts it in verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, what do you think of when you hear those two words, stand firm? Well, I think of the wonderful Irish rugby team. Standing firm. In that scrum, you know, locked with their shoulders together, feet dug in, standing firm. Why do they need to do that? Well, because of the opposition. Because they have an enemy who's pushing against them, trying to topple them over. We're citizens of heaven. We're not there yet. And we have opposition. We heard about it again in, ch- in chapter 3, verse 18. If you just glance over Paul describes people as enemies, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ, enemies of the gospel, and enemies of those who would share the gospel. Therefore, verse 1, chapter 4, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Now you see, Paul's not having to go at us, or at the Philippians. He's not like my old PE teacher when I was trying to learn how to play rugby. And he would shout, you know, come on, you little dweebs. Just put your back into it. You're just being knocked over. Paul's not like that here. He's so warm and affectionate. He says, I love you, brothers and sisters. I long for you. You're my joy and my crown. And I want you to stand firm. I want you to make it to the end of the race. that's wonderful, but you say, Paul, look, how is this possible? How do we do it? How do we stand firm? Well, you see his answer. We're still in verse 1. He says, you stand firm in the Lord. Did you see that in verse 1? That's how you do it. Well, okay, stand firm in the Lord. It sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? We don't normally talk like that. We don't say, well, I'm going to read the Bible in the Lord or I'm going to serve people in the Lord. We just don't say that. So what does Paul mean when he says, stand firm in the Lord? Well, what he's saying is, you have everything you need to make it to the end of the race in Jesus Christ. So, The London Marathon, I haven't the courage to run it myself, but I might go along, and maybe you have done this, and you stand at the sidelines and you cheer on someone who's running. And what would you shout to them? Well you shout, Go on, keep going. You can do it. You've got what it takes. Well that's not what Paul's saying here. He says don't look within. Don't try and find strength within yourself to keep going. He says the way you're going to stand firm is in the Lord and in him you have everything you need to make it. So do you believe that this morning and in the week that's coming are you going to believe that? That in Jesus, the one who has been made Lord over everything you have everything you need to live the Christian life. The reason that I ask that, and the reason it's so important to believe it, is because if you do believe it, you will live a life that will be remarkable. You'll live a life where you'll do things that seem impossible. And some of those impossible things Paul describes in this passage. In a sense, these things are impossible on our own, but if we stand firm in the Lord relying on him, then we can do it. it. So what are they? What are these impossible things? Well, the first one is this. In the Lord, you can agree with each other. Well, I haven't fallen out with anyone in this church, but in previous churches I've been in, I know that I've disagreed with people. And there's those times when, you know, you just think, I'm right, and I know I'm right, and it's obvious. And it's so obvious the other person is wrong. There's just no chance we're going to agree. It seems impossible. And it seemed impossible for these two women in Philippi. And it probably looked impossible to the people around them who were watching this fight going on. And yet, in verse 2, Paul says, I plead with Eudia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side for the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. Now look, these women are not just two cantankerous women who can't get along. These are co-workers with Paul. Courageous women who have stood by his side for the gospel people who have their names written in the book of life. Is it possible to be a Christian and to argue with other Christians? (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's possible here in St. Helens because it was happening in this church in Philippi. And yet Paul reminds them that in the Lord they have what it takes to agree. He pleads with Iodia and he pleads with Syntica, and he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. So he's not at the side of the race, yelling, go on, you can do it, you've got what it takes. He's actually saying to this church, look, if these two women are going to be reconciled, it's going to take the Lord's work. He's going to have to change them. He will do that, he is at work in them, and they can agree. And also, that doesn't mean you just stand back and do nothing. Yeah, he says, get involved. Reconcile these two women. Help them agree. But if it's going to happen, the Lord is going to do it. So I don't know if you've got some sort of disagreement with a person in church this morning. Maybe something that's been festering for some time. And you think, that would be nice, but it seems impossible. I just can't agree with this person. Well, in the Lord, friends, you can agree. Just flip back to chapter two very quickly. Chapter two and verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if you're a Christian you have that. Any comfort from his love and you have that. Any comfort any common sharing in the Spirit and you've experienced that. And any tenderness and compassion. And which Christian hasn't experienced that? Then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love for each other, being in one spirit, and of one mind. <laughs> Do you see how remarkable this is? People say the Christian life is boring. The Christian life's remarkable, doing what seems impossible. And just think of that person, if there was one who you have the disagreement with. Do you know the Lord is going to be at work in that relationship between the two of you? And he's going to make you the people who have such tenderness and compassion for each other. You'll be known for that. And you'll be known for standing together once more. Let's move on to the second thing which seems impossible to do. In the Lord... You can rejoice without anxiety. See what he says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Why does he have to say it twice? Because the first time you hear it, you think, that's nuts. It just can't happen. There you are in Philippi, facing fierce opposition. Every single day as a Christian facing extreme poverty with all those worries and Paul says rejoice and you go, what? Paul, don't you know what's going on in our lives don't you know how hard it is don't you know how hard it is just to get through a single day and he says rejoice in the Lord always and again I say it, rejoice rejoice So it's clearly a joy that doesn't depend on circumstances. It depends on the Lord. It doesn't depend on what kind of day you're having. Circumstances will change, but he does not. So in the Lord you can rejoice. When you're sitting in a Roman prison with little scraps of food, no heating, no health care, and the little rats are running around your feet, It's quite remarkable to say, I can rejoice in the Lord. Or if you're in Philippi with all those problems, it's remarkable to think you could rejoice in the Lord. It sounds impossible, but Paul did it, not because he's just a strangely optimistic person. He didn't have it within himself to do that. But in the Lord, he could rejoice, despite the circumstances. Don't mishear me. I'm not saying this is easy. It's definitely not. When life is tough, rejoicing in the Lord is so hard to do. But you can do it. It is possible. You can do it in him. In the Lord you can rejoice without anxiety. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says to the Philippians, look, do you see those soldiers in the city? Do you see them there with their huge shields lined up with their weapons ready to defend the city? Do you see them guarding the city and you feel safe inside? The peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you have those anxieties and those worries and they come flooding at you, they feel like those the enemy, those warriors come running at your mind and they want to disrupt it and they want to, to cause turmoil inside. What's going to stop them? What's going to stop those worries getting inside your mind and turning everything upside down? It's the peace of God. Well, what is that? What is the peace of God? Well, actually, I can't tell you this morning what it is because Paul says there in verse 7, the peace of God is beyond understanding. So I can't explain it to you, As Paul sits there in that prison cell with 101 things to worry about and the peace of God guards his heart and his mind. How do you explain that? Or as the Philippians face all the problems and yet the peace of God guards their hearts and their minds. How do you explain that? I can't. Do you know what it's like Do you know what it's like to experience the peace of God? Maybe this morning you have no idea and you think, I'd love it. I'd love to know what it's like. How can I experience God's peace? Well, it's very straightforward. He says there, Do you see it? Do not be anxious by prayer and petition in every situation. So, friends, what is worrying you this morning? Do not be anxious by prayer. Tell God about it. Tell him what it is. Tell him what the thoughts are. And in that way, trust him. In that way, look to him for the strength that you need. And do it with thanksgiving. Recognising all the things he's already done for us. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, why is it so important? Why is it so important that our hearts and our minds are guarded? Because if I was writing this letter to the church, to a church facing lots of problems, I would start off with verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Sort out your behaviour. Do these things, just get on with it. That's what I would say. But Paul doesn't start there. He starts with what's going on in our minds. Because Paul knows that what we think controls what we do. And this is the final point I want to make this morning and highlight. What we think controls what we do. Do you see that in verse 8? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right... Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. In fact, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then whatever you have learned or received, put into practice. When you're arguing with someone in church, or when you're full of anxiety and worry, your mind is full of so many things, it's racing with different things, different thoughts. And those thoughts are generally not pure and noble and admirable. And that really matters because what we think controls what we do. So if we're going to stand firm, then we need to focus our minds on the Lord himself. For he is the one who is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Haven't you found that as you think about Him, as you get to know Him? Haven't you found that He's all of those things? In the Lord, you find what you need to stand firm. By focusing your mind on Him, you can stand firm. And of course, it's not just a mind thing. It's not just thoughts. It's also prayer. Speaking to Him. It's that relationship. Sometimes we think, if I just think the right thoughts, everything will work out. It's not just thinking. It's it's trusting and prayer and a relationship as well. Okay, do you want a real example of this? It's there in verse 5. I passed over it earlier, but it's there. Did you notice it? Verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to you all. The Lord is near. When someone does something to me that's not fair... I want to fight back. Do you find that? You want to get justice. You want to exert your rights and say, this isn't, this isn't fair. Retaliate. And when I do that, my thoughts are not on the Lord. My mind is not focused on the fact that he is near. I've forgotten that he is near in the sense that he's coming soon to put everything right to restore justice. But when I fill my mind with his nearness, that he is coming, then I can respond with gentleness. Thoughts focused on the Lord control what we do. But I'm not standing at the sidelines cheering you on, saying, you can do it. You've got what it takes. I'm not saying that. None of us can control our own thoughts. But here is his promise at the end of verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you believe his promise? If you do believe it, then you'll rely on the Lord as you stand firm in him. Let me pray. Father, we sang a song that described you as the faithful one who is unchanging, the Lord of all. And we sang words saying, I depend on you and I call out to you again and again. And Father, we know that sometimes that isn't true. But we pray that you would make it true of us this week. And in the rest of the Christian life, that we would call out to you and pray and rejoice and rely on you and stand firm in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.